everyone, and welcome to Eat the Damn Cake Podcast. My name is Maddie, and Carly is unfortunately not here today, but she is here in spirit. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of having Ellen Hildebrand on, an American novelist and author. She was so incredible, and she's also a New York Times bestseller author. So if you haven't picked up one of her books, this is definitely your sign to do so now. She talks about so many amazing lessons and qualities of a writer that she needed to succeed. I hope that you have such a fun time listening as much as I had interviewing her. So enjoy. Welcome, first of all, to Eat the Damn Cake podcast. We're so excited to have you. I told our listeners last week kind of how we met, which I always think is such a, it's kind of funny because I feel like it just all happened by chance. We were at Country Fest together and we ran into each other in the bathroom line. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was there to see see Kenny Chesney. I know. But how did we start talking? That, I, think, I can't really remember. You were there with your husband, right? My boyfriend. Your yeah. boyfriend. So I think you both were standing in the bathroom line. And I, if I remember correctly, you were drinking like wine and it was in a box. And I was like, is it good? Because I love wine. <laughs> and I think you were like, it's not that good. And no. then we got chit chatting <laughs> about your shirt, which was your daughter's. Wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we got to know each other pretty quickly. I mean, a woman's bathroom line. I know. Like everything happens. Rich with, possibi- rich with possibility, the Tru- bathroom line. Truly. So you are all the way out in Nantucket right now. So I appreciate you zooming in. And I kind of just want to start from the beginning. I mean, a lot of people listening today know who you are and where you are and where you're from, but I kind of want to give an insight to the listeners of, you know, where are you originally from? Where did you go to school? Kind of just take us through, you know, your young adulthood into now. Totally. So I feel like the way I should start this story is by saying that when I was growing up, I we grew up outside of Philadelphia okay, in a suburb and when I was growing up, everybody else went to the Jersey Shore, but my family went to Brewster in oh. Cape Cod. And it was my dad, my stepmother, and then their blended group of five children, which we are all super duper close to this day, to Love this it. day. And we had these magical summers, magical. We rented this sort of ramshackle, you know, funky Cape Cod cottage on a sandy lane that led down to the beach. Oh. And we had all these rules that we had to follow. You know, we were, we had to use the outdoor shower. Mm-hmm. We could not shower inside. We had, to, we took breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like outdoors, like on the, at the picnic table, we had this screened in porch. We'd have like happy hour, which was like Shirley temples and goldfish crackers and oh um, the screened in porch. And then every night we'd go down, we'd watch the sunset. Like it was a Broadway show, right? We'd, we'd oh. get our seats early. We'd clap, someone said we'd clap. And then we'd have dinner and we'd either go out for like fried clams and soft serve or we'd roll out back. And my, my dad used to wake us up twice in the middle of the night over the course of the summer. The first time he would take us down to the beach in our pajamas in the middle of the night. I love this. And then the second time he'd wake us up, we'd go down to the dining room table. He would light the candles and we would play midnight Uno. And it was like this idyllic, idyllic way to grow up. 
And then my father died in a plane oh crash, like very suddenly when I was a junior in high school. I'm so and sorry. Those summers came to an end. So when I was a senior, I had to get a job somewhere between my junior and senior year. And I got a job working in a factory that made Halloween costumes. And it was 1986, long before you were born. But (laughs) I folded Rambo headbands like eight hours a day, five days a week. I had this. It was all it was awful. That sounds horrible. As I was sort of bemoaning my reversal of fortune, I thought to myself, "Okay, I don't care what I do with my life, but I'm going to find a way to spend every summer at the beach. I love that, that became my goal. Like I wanted to get those summers back. Yeah. And so I went to Johns Hopkins undergrad. Amazing. And Johns Hopkins is known, you know, for its medical school. Yeah. I was, I was a creative writing major. So everybody else had like these super intense courses. Like, you know, they were taking organic chemistry, yeah. <laughs> molecular biology and I was taking, you know, my creative writing workshops. So I joke and I say that my job was to go save the seats at the bar because I was always done studying first. I love that so much. I would save the seats at the bar. And then when I graduated, I asked one of my professors, like, I want to be a writer. What do I do? Yeah. Do I get a job? Do I go? Do I go to graduate school? And he said, you have to go out in the world and live. And with such good advice, which yes. would be exactly the same advice I would give any aspiring writer. Absolutely. And so I moved to New York City and I got a job in publishing. That was exactly the wrong thing. I hated it. Really? And yeah. Publishing and writing have nothing. They're like the two sides of the business. I wanted to be on this side. I was working on this side. Right. So I only lasted nine months and then I quit and I thought, what I really want to do, I need time. So I got a job teaching English because I knew I'd have the summers off. So yes, I got a job that's so smart. Teaching English. I worked my first year. I worked at the New York City in the New York City public schools in Queens. It took like two subways and a bus to get there. And then I got a different job the second year up in Westchester County. So I lived in Manhattan and I would commute backwards. Oh my God. And I had the summer between those two years off. My family was still on the Cape. I didn't want to go there. Right. I had been to Fox's Vineyard in college. So I'm like, I'm going to go to Nantucket. And it's so, so long ago. You're not even probably going to understand this. <laughs> the way I got my house on Nantucket is I called information. I got the name of the newspaper in Nantucket. Then I called the newspaper and I said, can you please send me the classifieds in the mail? They sent the classifieds in the mail oh six my days gosh. later. <laughs> and I started dialing for dollars, like from my landline. And found a room in a house. And I came to Nantucket in the summer of 1993. I'm about to celebrate my 30th anniversary. And I fell in love with it. Oh, my god! Fell in love with it. It felt like home. And so I went back to New York, finished the second school year, and then moved here permanently the following year. In 1994, I moved here for good. Wow. That's such an incredible story and so beautiful how that journey kind of led you to another beach basically you found your new beach so after you were teaching as an English teacher and you left that position what what did you decide to do once you moved full-time to Nantucket I had a bunch of part-time jobs I took part-time jobs because I really wanted to write like I substitute taught that was my first job then I got a job 
I was the classifieds girl at the newspaper again before the internet. And oh my I would, gosh. People, would call, people would call the paper and I would write down the classifieds and type them into the computer. Oh my gosh. And then uh, I worked as a paralegal and I would work nine to one and I did paralegal work. In between those years, I went to graduate school. Amazing. And I, I went out, yeah, for two school years, I went out to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, wow. which is the best writing school in the country, the most the most famous writing school in the country. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the other part of the story because I got out there and I had, you know, I was always spending the summers on Nantucket, but then school year came, it was 1996, and I moved out to Iowa City and I was miserable. Oh, no. I'm like... You know, it's the middle of the country. It's like silos and pig farms and there are no decent restaurants. And I'm used to Nantucket and everything's fancy, whatever. And I, and, and then my program's really competitive. So I'm completely miserable. And I, the university had free therapy. So every week I go to therapy and I'm crying. And uh, I was at that point, I was at that point married and I like missed my husband. And my friends, he was still back because he worked at a hotel and he couldn't come with me until much later. And I I was miserable. And so eventually the therapist said, I hope it's clear what has to happen here. Mm -hmm. And I sort of thought she was going to say I needed to quit and go home. Yeah. Um, She said, you need to start writing about Nantucket. And that is what I did. So, so I started writing a book while I was at Iowa and it was the, it was my first novel. It was the summer, summer of 69, right? It was the, the beach club. Oh, the beach club. And then was the summer of 69, the second book? No, summer of 69 was my 23rd book. Oh my God. Okay. So that that was the first book that got to number one. Okay. Yes. That's what I'm mixing it up with. Okay. So the beach club was your first book. Yep. that you ever wrote. So do you want to kind of take us through was your inspiration, just your love of Nantucket? Was there a specific something that made you want like to write that story or did it kind of just come to you? Well, I think it was only when I got to Iowa city and got to sort of the heartland, right? Mm-hmm. Like Iowa is the heartland that I understood how unique Nantucket is. Yeah how different it is from the rest of the country and how attached I felt to it. And then I thought to myself, you know, I'm here writing about, you know, and they always say, right, but you know, I should be writing about Nantucket and the way it is. And my then husband worked at a place called the Cliffside Beach Club. Very amazing hotel. Oh my gosh. Gorgeous. He's he's worked there 37 years. He still works there. Oh my gosh. And I thought, oh, I'm going to set a novel like at this fictional, at a fictional version of Cliffside, mm-hmm. you know, a beach club and hotel. So I wrote the novel and I used parts of stories, you know, and sort of set it up the same way and, yeah. and used, you know, bits and pieces of it. So I was writing it my second year at Iowa, which is a two-year program. Okay. And in my very last workshop, my professor had his agent come to the class and the agent said, which one of you lives on Nantucket? And oh, my goodness, it was very obvious that it was me because of just the way I looked. But whatever, <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh, it's me." And he said, "Please come see me after class." And I didn't even really want to because I had my U-Haul packed and I was ready yeah, to go home. Absolutely, um, but thank God I did because he's been my agent for twenty-five years. Really? Yes, he took me on as a student right out of my final workshop. He ended up selling the beach club. 
you know, we got a very modest advance. We got a $5,000 advance, which was even then yeah. was like nothing. And I, I couldn't quit my job. I had to keep working, mm-hmm. but we took it and the beach club, it came out in a very small way, but it was picked up by people magazine as their beach book of the week. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Amazing. So amazing. And the problem was that they'd only, my publisher had only published, had only printed 2,500 copies. So this is also like before you were born, this is the summer of 2000. <laughs> it's, and you can't like, you don't have a phone, like you don't have a Kindle or a Nook. No. Like if you want to, you have to go to the store and get it. Yep. So it was really, it was really, they ran out of books for like three weeks over the, in the best part of the summer. And I was really discouraged. Absolutely. But, I mean, yeah. How can you not be? Yeah, but it did well and much better than my publisher expected. And then they offered me a two book deal and, and, you know, those books, they did okay, but then good enough for me to get another two book deal. So then I had five books with this publisher, right? But sales were like, they weren't great. And I wasn't, you know, if I wanted to go on tour, like I had to pay for it myself and, Things were not right. Things mm-hmm. were not correct. And I sort of sensed it. And okay. I said, I said to my agent, I'm miserable. And he moved, we moved, we switched publishers with my sixth book, Barefoot. Yep. That's when I went to Little Brown, which is where I am now. And they started turning my books into New York Times bestsellers. Barefoot, when once it hit the paperback list, got all the way to number two. That's incredible. My seller list and was amazing. And um it was a journey. I mean, yeah. it certainly was not, I was not an overnight success by any means. And I feel like that makes your story that much richer and better because it really does show that behind all the success is this immense amount of grit and determination to continue working really hard and also using your gut feeling as like, if I don't feel good right now, something's probably not right. And I honestly yeah. had no idea that I mean, publishers make that big of a difference in that success, right? So, well, it really depends on how much they're behind you. Mm-hmm. So, my first publisher, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> look it up, my first publisher's business plan was to publish, they had a ton of authors. So, they had a okay. huge list and they put a teensy amount of money behind each book. Okay. And my little brown has a small number of authors and puts a lot of money behind each book. Which, so yeah. it's a different business plan, mm-hmm. um, like opposite. Yeah, totally. Opposite and for me, they did marketing and they sent me on tour and they built me. And it was, yeah. it was certainly not, it was book by book, summer by summer, year by year. They built me, built me, built me. And as we just said, it wasn't until my 23rd novel in mm-hmm summer of 2019 that I hit number one, which is just on the bestseller list, but I had been slowly climbing like yeah. every year, like silver girl was number six and then Summerland was number four. And then the rumor was number three. And so I kept, yeah, I was at number two for two years oh and I'm like, gosh. okay, can I get there? Can I get there? And then finally in my 23rd try, I got to number one. And the interesting thing I'll tell you is that that year, the person I had to beat to get to number one, was Delia Owens, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sang. Yep. So Where the Crawdads Sang had been number one for like 49 weeks. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, can I catch her? Can I catch her? And and I did. And I was, it was very gratifying because I can that's, imagine. Her first, that's her first and only book. And it had been a, you know, she was an overnight success. And I had to sort of work a little bit harder to get there. 
But I mean, that just goes to show that all that hard work completely paid off. I mean, that's that must yeah. be such oh, a yeah. surreal feeling to see your name on number one. Like, yep. oh my goodness. Really satisfying after so many years. I mean, it's it has to be a better feeling when you've worked for it for so many years oh, and so hard than just getting it right away. For sure. And I mean, so. you probably learned a lot as well through those of 23 course. books. Yeah. I mean... I have so many (laughs) questions from our listeners about all your writing, but I'm going to wait because there's just, there's so much more for me to ask you first. I'm, I'm, I'm prioritizing my questions. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) So one of the questions I was having and thinking about was how do you conceptualize and set up your storylines before you start writing and you know, that process, is it, how long does it typically take for you? And do you set up specific times to write? Or do you kind of just write when you feel creative in the moment? Like, what does that look like exactly for you? So for me, it's a job. So, and I treat it like a job. So I am my own boss though. So I write every single day and in the summer, I know I try to be at it by 11 and I stay until six and I can, I write longhand in notebooks. Okay. And so I do it out by my pool. When I say I write for seven hours, what I mean is I will, com- I'm trying to get three hours of composing done. Okay. So I give myself seven hours to compose for three. So I read, I'm always reading. Okay. And uh, I, you know, if I'm at my pool, I swim or I, I also do it at the beach. I go for a swim. I take a nap. Yep. I have my lunch. All of that's happening. But if you if you compose three hours a day, 350 days a year, you can write two books a year. Oh my so gosh. Okay. You just have to really, you have to make yourself compose that much. Yeah. Um, so that is sort of my process. That's and then I type amazing. Into, you know, I wake up early. I type into the computer. I know you're a fitness podcast. I exercise three hours a day. In a perfect world, I exercise three hours a day. Wow. What's your favorite morning. way? So I do three things. So I do, I get on the Peloton and I do a 45 minute ride. Love it. I'm a huge Jen Sherman fan. So I ride with Jen a lot. Love and then Jen. I go for a, a very slow jog, which I call my yogging because I, it's <laughs> so slow. It's so nice though. I feel like when it's not too fat, like you can actually enjoy it when, when you're not sprinting. I, I like a jog. It's where I stay. Exactly. <laughs> and then, and then I take a bar class. Oh, wow. So in the summer I do... I do all three in the winter, you know, it depends on the weather, but I, Oh, I'm always on the Peloton and wow. probably six days a week. I do a bar class and then I try and yog, jog, yog every day. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I mean, that probably is such a big part of your process though, too, because for me, and I'm, I'm sure it's for a lot of people that exercise. I find it's a great escape from my reality, from my work, even though I work in fitness, I'm able to shut my brain off or use it, you know, towards your creative work. Like you can think through things or just escape from them and be like, that's going to be my later situation right now. I'm going to just do this for me and relax and enjoy. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is it's such an important discipline. So I I exercise every single day. And Mm -hmm. the reason why is because writing is making yourself write is so hard. And especially when you're at my level and you sort of don't have, you know, you don't have to do it. And no one's watching you. So you have to be super self-disciplined. And and the first discipline of my day is like getting on the Peloton 
And I always say to myself, this is the hardest thing I'm going to do today. Yeah. Then that's over. Then everything else is easy. And it's a discipline that sets up my work day. So it's like, okay, I'm going to exercise. And I want to say, I know I'm very, very privileged to be able to exercise so long each day, but I'm so lucky and I don't take it for granted. It's also like, I think that's amazing though. And I think being able to be that disciplined with, I mean, like you said, no one's standing over you and saying, you need to do this right now, especially, I mean, even with your workout, but with your writing, making sure that you're dedicating that much time a day to it so you can crank out a couple books a year to make sure that you're staying on pace for, you know, publishing. So when you're writing, a lot of people want to know, Do you base characters off people you know, or do you make them completely up? So fiction, like when you're reading a novel, it has to make sense with the storyline. So it has to have a narrative arc and everybody has to fit in it. And everybody has like everything that the characters do and say have to contribute to the story. So to have somebody from real life appear in that novel doesn't make sense because we're people and we have all these disparate sort of random elements to us. Yeah. Um, but what, you know, every once in a while, like I'll use like someone's a story, someone told me or part of a story or yeah. an emotion, but it's never, it's never a whole person. And it's never even really a whole true story because it just doesn't fit in fiction, but I'm always like, I'm a satellite dish. So I'm always listening. I'm always sort of observing yep. people and, trying to figure out what's really going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then a lot of that in bizarre ways, like we'll come back and I'll be like, oh, I'm using this, I'm using this in my novel. That is, I think that's such a cool way to use the outside world to help kind of create a story. And you're using bits and pieces of it, but you're not ever, you know, making a f- one full person the leader of the story or basing a full novel off one person. Yeah. It won't work. Yeah. That won't, it doesn't, that doesn't work. It yeah. really does not. I think a lot of people will be so intrigued to hear that because I think as a reader, sometimes you almost wish you're like, I hope this person exists or like, uh-huh. or the opposite. You're like, gosh, I hope someone like this doesn't exist kind of thing. Right. So that's actually so interesting, but also makes so much sense when you say it out loud. Cause I'm like, you're right. That probably wouldn't work to base a whole novel. They wouldn't fit into the story. So like you mentioned outside of writing, you love to exercise. Are there any other hobbies that you really enjoy? And, and I know, like you said, re- writing is your job, but is there anything that you like to do that completely grounds you or, or relaxes you outside of work other than exercise? Um, you know, I don't actually have a ton of time for anything else other than my drinking. No, I'm only kidding. Um, I know I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge foodie. So I okay. cook all the time. I love that. Um, like I'm making chicken. I roasted a chicken last night. I'm making chicken stock. It's on the stove behind mm, me. Like I, probably I make so good. everything. Like I try to make everything from scratch when I have, when I have time Yeah. on my Instagram, I have like this little fake cooking show called cringe cooking. Um, oh my God. They call it, my kids call it cringe cooking. Cause it's so embarrassing. So <laughs> I love that. You know, so and I, sh- I show the stuff that I'm making. Yeah. And so I cook, I love to go out to eat. Nantucket is a diner's, you know, a foodie's paradise. Yes, paradise. Absolutely. So many great restaurants, so many great bars. So I'm either cooking or going out. I, I do. That. I try to have a balance. So, you know, on the weekends, wherever I am, like, I like to go out to dinner. I like to go out 
have fun. Of course. Um, I mean, I feel like that's part of it too, right? Being able to, you know, wherever you may be, even if you're not in Nantucket, being able to go and experience, like, like you said, your people watcher, your satellite dish, like it's good to go out and socialize and see everything around you, but also just unplug and enjoy. (laughs) And I travel, I mean, I, I travel a lot. I travel, I do 40 events a year for work. So I travel for that reason, but I also, I've traveled on six continents yeah. and I've taken my kids a lot, you know, I've been to Australia for five or six times. Like we, we wow. Thailand and I've been everywhere. I love I, or, that. You know, my, my aim is to have get, there are a bunch of places I still have yet to visit, but tra- a lot of travel. And that's so travel, yeah. food, exercise, my children who take up an enormous amount of time and then <laughs> my reading and writing. And then I don't have time for anything else. Like I don't ski and I, it's I okay. don't play guitar. I don't ski oh. either. Yeah. I don't like, I don't, I don't have time for that either. Cause I'm just, I don't like the cold very much. So I'm just right. like, I will not do a winter activity. Right. Me uh, either. Yeah. Right. I'd much rather the beach, much rather the beach. My mom actually asked me to ask you this cause she knew you were a foodie. She was like, ask her if she follows recipes or she just kind of goes on her own, like, and does her own thing in the kitchen? So yes and yes. So I, I do nowadays I'm getting most of my recipes online. Like I have a lot of food, Instagram. Oh my gosh. Same. I love food. I have a lot of food, a, a freakish amount of food, Instagram. And so if I see something, you know, I'll bookmark it yep, and then I'll just get, get the recipe off, online. I have a lot of cookbooks, but the, the stuff that I have in rotation, people are like, how do you make that? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know, I've even forgotten. Like, I don't know. So I just sort of, I know how to make them. I don't eat, use a recipe. Right. I love that though. I mean, so, that's yes, the best way to cook exactly. sometimes just from memory. It's like second nature. You're like, I don't yeah. know. I make it so often. If you haven't checked out half-baked harvest, have you ever, yes. oh my yeah, God. Yes. I follow them. Oh yes. my gosh. I'm obsessed. I use yeah. their recipes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's amazing. So you said you travel a lot and a lot of people had to ask about St. John and asked if yeah. you ever go there to, they know that you go there, but do you go there specifically to write or is that a place that you like to just go and enjoy and you work while you're there? Yes. And yes. Okay. So I was there at Christmas for two weeks. I'll go back for, I go for two months. So I'm going March and I go all of March, all of April. Amazing. Even when I was there at Christmas, I was working. Like I was work. I always, I'm always working. working. So Yes. So yes, I'm, I love it and I relax and I, I, I follow my basic rules for living, which is, you know, I get up, I don't, I don't have a Peloton there, but I, I run and yep. it's hilly, like oh, super hilly. Probably, is so it I humid there? Hour, what? Is it humid too? Like, you know, I'm a, it must yeah, be so hot. Yeah, I get up so super hot. early. Like, <laughs> I, I am, I'm running by quarter of seven. Like I run, Good for everybody you. knows me because I run, the, it's a very dangerous road actually. Okay. The hilly road, but they, everybody, they see me, I wear bright clothes. Good. Um, every morning. So I run and then I go home and do a bar class. So I do that. And then I go to the beach all day and I bring my notebooks. I bring my book. I bring Mm -hmm. my lunch. I'm there all day. And then at night, not every night, but a lot of nights I'll go into town and we go out and go to the beach bar and hear music and go to dinner as you should. And St. John also like such great food. So amazing. Such a great vibe. It's perfect. It is. I know. I think so many people were like, what would she pick? Nantucket or St. John, or are they just not in competition at all? Well, Nantucket is home. Yes. So I would obviously pick Nantucket. Mm-hmm. St. John is my escape. Yes. And when I got there, 
I made myself remember how I felt when I got there. I got there December 21st for Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was this intense happiness of being in a place that is not my home, but that is starting like with every visit, like starting to feel more and more familiar. And I feel like if I lived on St. John, I probably wouldn't love it as much as I do only going for two months. So I'm happy with the dynamic. That's a great way to put it though. When it's, it's like an escape, but it's not like you're trying to escape. It's just a nice place that brings you so much joy that isn't home, but still feels right. like a home away from home for you that can, right. pro- you know, provide warm weather when it's probably freezing cold in Nantucket. Yes. We're right. dealing with the same winters over here. So I, I do not blame you for leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be specific to a book. And I already told everyone, I was like, I'm, I won't do any spoilers, but someone specifically asked what did anything specific inspire the perfect couple? If so, what was it? That's so funny. No, I wanted to write a murder mystery. Okay. And I thought, can I, I do this? I am not a murder mystery person. Can I do this? And I just came up with this idea of like, okay, I'm going to have a wedding and somebody's going to die yep. now. In my first draft of that book, the person who dies is the bride, Celeste. Oh my gosh. I hand it in. My editor calls me. She says, I love this book so much. But I I knew like the other shoe was about to drop like in the next second. She goes, but the wrong person dies. She's like, it can't be Celeste. It's too sad. It has to be someone else. Mm -hmm. And I said, should it be? And she said, it should be Merritt, who is the maid of honor. Yep. So the, you know, the premise of the perfect couple, the maid of honor is found floating in the harbor the morning of the wedding. And then the police show up and everything gets unpacked. And she was exactly right. Of course, much, 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 much better book. I rewrote it in six weeks. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was just choice. I was on deadline, but I didn't have to touch every single page, but I wrote, rewrote the majority of the book with somebody else dying. I mean, that's a big change, Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, that's a, it's so such, you know, it's obviously a great change, but also like you wrote a whole book with a whole different kind of plot and then had to read, that is so interesting. Oh my gosh. I, it's so funny that she called you and was like, I love it, but, and you're like, I knew it. I can tell you something. Something's coming. Uh-oh. Wow. I mean, that's so cool, though, that you're able to kind of dip your toe into other, not necessarily, like it's a, another genre, like murder mystery is totally another genre right. and being able to do that so successfully is amazing. Do you like to read murder mystery? Like, is there a specific not genre really. you really? <laughs> you're like, I just kind of wanted to write one. <laughs> not really. Yeah, I did. I just, I like domestic fiction, you know, yeah. you know, and I don't read a lot of murder. I obviously have, but I don't read a lot of murder. Interesting. But I wanted to give it a shot. Why not? Right. And then you did a great, like it was amazing. So do you have a a favorite author or writer or a couple authors that you always gravitate towards that you like to read? Um, I read the best things that I can get my hands on. So like books that people are talking about that are really good, but I love literary fiction. Okay. Like it has to be well-written. That is how I get better. I get better by reading people who are really, really super talented. So I don't actually read a lot of beach books. My favorite authors, 
Anna Quinlan is one of my favorite authors. Maggie O'Farrell, I think, is doing the best writing in the English language these days. She wrote Hamnet, and then she had a book out this summer called The Marriage Portrait, which was one of my top nine on the year. She's amazing. Amazing. And I, so if you go to my Instagram, at Ellen Hildebrand, I always post about the books that I love. Like, always, always, always. I love that. I feel like that is such a good reminder, though, you know, because you are considered the best of the best for so many people. And I'm sure a lot of other writers as well, but it's so nice to hear that even the best of the best are reading other people's work to continue to get better. Because I think that's such a good lesson just in life. Like you can always learn from someone, from something, even if you're the best, you still can learn from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Especially anybody who wants to become a writer, like you have to read. It is the, and you know, and you have to say to yourself, how is this person making this happen? How is this person doing it? Like, how are they developing their characters? Ditto. Yeah. When you're watching, because television these days is so good. So like when I start a show, I'm like, how are they building the characters? How are they introducing the main people? And, you know, TV is so, so, so well-written these days. So I find that instructive as well. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any favorite TV shows at the moment? Did you watch White Lotus? Of course. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why, I, yes, I watch it all. Succession, White Lotus, Yellowstone. I'm watching Dairy Girls right now, which I, okay. is just kicking the pants. I watched Bad Sisters. Bad I Sisters. I started that. Yep. Oh my gosh. I know. White Lotus was wild. I told all our listeners, if you haven't watched it, you need to give it a chance because yep. yep. people are like, I can't get into it. I'm like, you just need to date deep. Oh my God. So it's so good. good. Oh, it's so, so good. It's so good. Okay. So one of our listeners asked, what is your favorite male lead you've written? Do you have a favorite? You don't have to have a favorite. So many answers to that question. Cause I really do enjoy writing men. Yeah. Um, one that comes to mind is Chad. So I had, so Chad was my dude in the hotel Nantucket, which came out this past summer. Yep. He's working as a chambermaid. I loved writing Chad. Did you? I mean, he has a whole, this fantastic arc starts out. I mean, so funny. And like Chad is like an Nantucket joke, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's, but hopefully people feel like I turned him from a caricature, which he definitely began as, as and yeah. turned him into a being. I think um, that's so cool. And then the, the police chief shows up in a lot of my books and my final book, which I'm writing, uh, I'm going to start writing in a couple months, oh uh, is going to be focused on the chief. And wow. he's just a good guy. So the your final book, you said you're going to begin writing in a couple of months. And then is that it? That's the last one? Well, I mean, the good news is no. So my last Nantucket summer book is coming out in the summer of 24. Mm -hmm. And then I have signed a two book deal with my daughter and we're writing two books set at a New England boarding school. Stop it. Um, The first book will be called The Academy. And then I don't know, The Academy senior year or something for the second book. But yeah, but we're writing it together and I'm doing the adult perspectives, like the head of school, the teachers, and she's writing the student perspectives. Does she write? Is she? Yes. Oh my. So did she collect this passion of writing from you or was she always interested? I mean, I definitely think she, uh, yeah. Took some I inspo. Said to her this morning, I said, are you a Nepo baby? But she like literally, lo- I mean, she loves to write. She's an outstanding writer. She got to boarding school in the fall of 21. She went as a, started as a sophomore. 
and the drama that she has, uh, that we haven't, she's having a great time, but like the drama is so intense. I'm like, we have to write a novel about this. Wait, that's and such a good idea. She said, yes, I will totally do that with you. So we were laughing. Wait, this is, that is so amazing. Not only just because congratulations to you and your daughter. That's so cool to probably go on this adventure with your daughter to write a book with her. But also I have a big feeling that a lot of people are going to be really happy to hear that they're not going to be reading your last novel next year. Right. (laughs) Because so many um, of our listeners were like, please tell us that you're going to ask her if she's done because we don't want her to. I was like, don't worry, I'll ask. I don't know what she's going to say, but I'm so glad that was your answer. So when are you both planning to start that? Or writing so that. I'm writing it. I'm writing it right now. Shelby is uh, in the middle of her junior year. Right. So it, for those of us who remember what that's like, she's like super intense, like super duper intense. So I'm going to get it to a point. I'll write between now and the end of February. Okay. And then I'm going to pass it to her. She probably won't work on it until summer. Probably. Quite, yeah. quite honestly. I mean, and, I can um, imagine. It's not due until a year from this April. So we have plenty of time. Great. And... It's coming out in the fall of 24, which is when she will have graduated. Good. So she'll be out of there. Yeah. So she'll be out (laughs) in college when it comes out. Good. Oh, I mean, when I heard you say drama, is it an all girls boarding school or is it? No, it's co-ed. Which probably adds more fuel to the fire, honestly. I cannot even (laughs) tell you stuff. It has even happened in her short tenure. Oh my goodness. Oh my good. Oh my goodness. It's. It's and it's nice that she tells you all of it too, because then you yeah. you were literally able to be like, yeah, no, there this needs to be a novel right now. Yeah. I'm sure it'll fly off the shelves. Do you have a least favorite character that you've written? So, not people do ask me that all I'm the sure. time, and my answer is. If I'm doing my job correctly, yes, there are there are characters that are like quote unquote villains. Yeah, but I try to treat all of my characters with this bait, a bottom line of I love you. You're flawed. You suck. Whatever. But I love you. Yes. So that every character is treated with dignity and respect, no matter what kind of horrible things they do, mm-hmm. and they all have humanity. So if I'm doing my job correctly, everybody has humanity. Yes. And that said, I mean, I don't want to say too much about my least favorite characters because I don't want to give away plot lines, but no. there are definitely people who um, they do terrible things. Yeah, I mean, I but I love that. And I, I can see that in your writing of, you know, what I've read and what other people have read and how they talk about your writing. It's just it's so important in this day and age, especially especially for people to just have humanity and bottom line, be a decent human being, hopefully. And the fact that you take so much care and pride in your characters, that's why your novels do so well. It, it, it's a nice escape from reality. How sad as that sounds, because there are so many people that aren't that awesome in the real world. So it's kind of nice to, you know, be able to read, even when people are doing shitty things, you're like, you know what, but at least bottom line, they're a decent human. And I think that's a great answer because I wanted to ask it to see what you were going to say, because I was like, well, they're her people that she's writing. You know, how can you have a least favorite? How can you dislike any of them when you're creating them? Um, I forgot to ask you when you were talking about food, do you have a favorite restaurant on Nantucket? 
You know, I have a favorite restaurant for like different occasions. Okay. So if you're only coming to Nantucket for one day, mm-hmm. I highly recommend going to Sandbar. So Sandbar is like the beach bar that's on the, you know, in the, it's literally in the sand at yep. Jetty's Beach. They have live music. It's like fish sandwiches, fish tacos, burgers, mm. you know, ca- casual. It's one of my very favorites. And if you're going at, like, if you're there overnight and you're either with a date or you're out with girlfriends, I highly recommend Nautilus. I think the food, the best food on Nantucket is it being served at Nautilus. Okay. Um, I absolutely love it. Like, and it's open at least partially in the winter. So like I'll go this week. I love it. It's just the best food. It's just the best, best food. It's hard to, you know, it's impossible to get a reservation Yeah. in the summer. I don't think I went it. I don't think I even went once all summer. Cause I just, I cannot get in. I can't get in. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can and, only imagine how hard it is to get in. Cause it's so, it's so popular. I know. And then for fine dining, I mean, the Chanticleer is really good. That's out in Sconset on the okay. other side of the island. I mean, Straight Wharf, Club Car, you know, Ventuno. I mean, so Languedoc. Probably, if you're fine dining, I would say Languedoc Bistro. It's front, like classic French bistro, but just so consistent, so delicious. Steak frites. Mm, I'm such a uh, foodie too. I'm like my stomach's growling. <laughs> absolutely delicious. Oh, that sounds delightful. Believe it or not, I've actually never been to Nantucket. And oh my gosh, I know. I don't know how because. I was always like a Cape kid. Like I was always going to the Cape and I still go to the Cape all the time. And my sister and her boyfriend, Carly, like they're there every summer. Sandbar is their all time favorite place to go to. And I keep looking at my boyfriend. I'm like, why haven't you not taken me to Nantucket yet? Like what's, what's the hold up? That'll happen this summer. I already know we're going to Falmouth. I will be there and I can't wait to take all your uh, recommendations. The one final listener question before I have one question of my own. Do you have a favorite book that you've published or that you've written? Oh, so sort of quasi same topic. So my favorite, and I didn't even talk about this. My favorite book is the blue bistro, okay, which was my fourth novel. And it was, it fell into that category of my first publisher. So it didn't do well when it first came out Mm -hmm. since then it has sold magnificently. Cause I always say, Oh, it's my favorite book. And it was underpublished and like nobody knew about it when it came out. Right. Blue Bistro is set at a fictional version of the galley. So the galley galley beach is also another place that if you have a couple days on Nantucket must be visited. Okay. My suggestion is to go for lunch. It's the best lunch, hands down. The best lunch on Nantucket mm. is to be had at the galley. You're in the sand. It's elegant. It's French. It's so delicious. The views are to die for. And you feel like you're in the South of France and it is CNBC and that is the place to go. So the Blue Bistro is set at a fictional version of the galley and it has this great love triangle and it has all the food and wine and the restaurant culture. And I love it. That is my favorite book. Oh, I love that. And I think that's so cool to know that it was your fourth book, like so yeah. early on. And yeah. now, now it's getting the love that it deserves because the first yes, publisher was not, not doing you a service there. My last personal question, I ask every guest, we Carly and I ask every guest, what is your birth sign? Like when, what's your birthday and what's your sign? So my birthday is July 17th Amazing. and my sign is cancer. 
Awesome. I love a cancer. I'm a Pisces. Carly's a Gemini and we always give her a hard time because she's a Gemini. <laughs> and we yeah. and so is Hurley, our producer. He's a wonderful, wonderful Gemini, but sends my sister like sends Carly and our sisters. I'm always like, Carly, your dual personality, like, come right. on now. <laughs> right. But I think it always we have a lot of our uh, our listeners like to, you know, be in t- in tune with the stars and the moons. And they're like, oh, my God, it totally makes sense. You're a Pisces or a Cancer, or a Gemini. So I always like to kind of finish up and just kind of know where yeah. you're at. And this has been truly so amazing having you on and I know you're such a busy woman and have so much going on so I just want to say my sincerest thank you for making this happen and coming on you are so welcome thank you for having me oh it's my so gosh. fun to do something different I love it I well you are seriously welcome anytime if you're ever in Boston we are based out of Seaport so we'd love to have you in and you can see the whole studio and have you on again because I guarantee after this episode drops we're going to have even more questions for you Um, awesome but I hope you have the most wonderful day and I can't wait to see the new novel coming out in 2024 and even more new novels coming out with your daughter you got it yes thank you Maddie Um, yeah five star weekend my my novel for 23 the five star weekend comes out June 13th June 13th and then you you have a website it's ellenhilderbrand.com correct Yes, I believe so. I, I think I definitely I, follow me on Instagram. Yes. I've, I've never even visited my own website, but you know, you can get my books on Amazon, your independent bookstore. They're everywhere. Yes. They're everywhere. Bookshop.org. And yes, but thank you, Maddie. This has been such a ball. And it was such a ball having you. And don't forget, everyone, uh, go follow her on Instagram. I cannot wait to watch your next episode of Cringe Cooking. I'm <laughs> sure it's not cringe. I'm sure I will love it. But I, I guess if your kids think so, I'm sure I would think so, too, if my mom was doing that. But um, I cannot wait to see all the amazing things you continue to do. And I can't wait to talk to you soon again. Have the most wonderful time in St. John the next couple of months. I will. Thanks again, Ellen. Okay. Bye. Bye.